everybody! Welcome to episode 29 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SEG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Caster-Rappel, and with me, as always, and sort of returning, is Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins! Hey! It's good to be back! Yeah, man, back from the Pro Tour, back from Spain. How are you doing? You know, we're getting along. We, uh, we're very tired. We, we had a, you know, a long flight... And the the time change is still messing with me, so kind of trying to get back in the rhythm of things, taking it easy, you know that yeah, kind of thing. That's like a six hour difference, right? Yeah, I um yeah. <laughs> so I guess I I started traveling back Monday morning Spain time, right? And then got home at around ten thirty p.m. Uh, United States time on Monday still. But, you know, like, like 4 there were six additional hours in there for me, so it, it definitely <laughs> felt, like, super late, and I slept, like, on the plane, and, like, you know, more just kind of, like, at the, at the airport and all this stuff, so when I woke up on what I now know to be Tuesday morning, I swear it was Wednesday, you know? <laughs> so I woke up, and I was like, all right, it's Wednesday, blah, 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 and we, I started, you know, I had, like, I had made plans to meet up with somebody on Wednesday, and then I messaged them, and then they were like, what? It's Tuesday. And I was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so, all right, got to get my head back on straight. But, you know, it's happening. Yeah, yeah, that transatlantic trip is is no joke. Coming this yeah. way to Europe, I think, is way easier than going back to the U.S. Like, coming here, I just, like, kind of went to bed early and slept for a while and woke up and was yeah, okay. Yeah. But I think going back is pretty hard. Yeah, you know, it wasn't too bad getting over there. We definitely went to bed really late and then slept super, super late first night. Yeah. But, uh, you know, after that, we were just kind of, you know, cruising from there. It wasn't too bad. So who did you, like, travel with and room with and test with and stuff? So I initially went to Houston, which uh, was the Grand Prix before the Pro Tour. There was sure. one in London, then there was one in Houston. And I decided to go to the one in Houston just because it was in the States. Yeah, again, because you didn't want to see me at London, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> desperately awkward. avoiding Chris. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would have been a lot of fun. But, yeah, I decided to go to Houston because the people that I was going to end up rooming with were going to Houston. Yeah. And I, I finagled a way to get on the same flight as them from Houston to Spain, which I figured was going to be really useful for me because... I don't speak any Spanish, so being, like, with people who are just going to try to end up at the same hotel as me was just kind of like, you know, I could I could tag along there and, and not get lost, you know? <laughs> so, so, yeah, so the guys I ended up rooming and saying with were Ely Cassis, Zach Keeney, Noah Walker, Shaheen Sarani, and the surprise fifth was Caleb Sher. We actually ended up having Caleb in our room. Uh, just kind of like last minute change. He was looking for a place to stay, and we had some floor space, so it worked out. Cool, cool. So just a bunch of the the Star City guys kind of getting together and heading to the PGA. Yeah. That's so nice. the um, aside from Caleb, those are all people um, on Team Card Hoarder. Mm-hmm. So Card Hoarder people reached out to me and was like, "Hey, do you want to help? Do you want to test with us for the Pro Tour?" And I was like, "Sure, let's do it." So then you know I ended up just kind of rooming with them and everything. So it worked out pretty well. Cool, yeah. So how, I mean, I guess we're just kind of getting into it now, but figure we'd talk about the PT, the prep, and the experience, and then we go into the meta a little bit and stuff. So I guess right now we're we're talking about the prep and experience. So what was sort of your your testing process and stuff? What did you guys do together? Well, I think that we all had pretty much a, a lot of pretty solidified ideas on modern, kind of like <laughs> coming into Spain. And, right. But the one thing that I really, really wanted to do a lot of was draft. So, and that's essentially what we did the most of. When we got to the hotel, we were hoping to have internet. And there kind of technically was internet, but it was really bad internet. And w- the hotel that we were in also had pretty much all of the Magic players at the Pro Tour. <laughs> and everybody that was there early to test pretty quickly found out that the internet was just not terribly supportive of Magic Online. And the only place where the internet was good enough to play Magic Online was in the lobby. So there there kind of wasn't any, like, you know, secrecy of, like, if you're playing Moto, then everybody's going to be in the lobby and watching you play Moto. So (laughs) um, be careful. Ended up doing a lot of, like, in-person drafts. And we did did end up jamming some on Moto as well, just kind of in the lobby and everything. Mm -hmm. But that was really good for me because... 
Ely Cassis in particular is an excellent drafter. He's been playing Magic and drafting for a very, very long time and just kind of like has those instincts and I was able to kind of glean a lot off of him from from that and kind of figure out where I wanted to be with drafting and all that stuff. So Anything in particular you pulled off of that? It's kind of hard to talk about because a lot of the stuff was just kind of like fundamental stuff. I don't know. You know, not only were we looking at this format in particular and saying, okay, you know, what uh, archetypes do we want to end up in? Let's rank these archetypes and like color combinations that we like, color combinations we don't like, and all these other things. But additionally, something that I was learning a lot of that probably a lot of these other guys had down pretty pat, just kind of like general you know, sending signals, reading signals, figuring out what's open. You know, we we have we develop a lot of instincts for that. And I had also developed some instincts for that. But, you know, watching some of these other guys draft really showed me that there were definitely things in that, like, you know, pretty, pretty fundamental level category of things that I still didn't fully understand and just kind of like wanted to look into more. So that was a pretty good for me, just kind of like making sure I had all those boxes checked in terms of understanding the more fundamental draft philosophy stuff that I think a lot of people tend to overlook these days, but hmm. I don't know. Well, it's definitely always good to hang out with people who are better at, at magic than you are, so... Yes, that yeah. never heard. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, what I was enjoying about the whole weekend was pretty much all weekend I, you know, and leading up to the event, I was playing with players who were just very clearly much better than I <laughs> So, um, <laughs> a very humbling experience in that regard, for sure, which was uh, pretty cool. If I, if I wanted to take one thing away from this weekend that was really good for me, it would be that I definitely through my first Pro Tour experience, got a glimpse of what the next level looks like. And I was able to play with all these players who were so clearly better than me and just like easily saw all of these lines and knew which lines were correct when I was still kind of like trying to struggle and like, you know, look at the line and parse through a couple different iterations or whatever. You don't really understand how bad you are until you kind of put yourself in that scenario of... (laughs) Because it almost felt like the difference between your your average FNM player and me right now, you know, where, you know, I'm just like instinctively I've been playing long enough to know what the correct line is, know that I can, you know, which attacks are appropriate and, and all these things. Like the average FNM player doesn't know these things and I do, right? And then I went to the Pro Tour and I started playing with Hall of Famers and Platinum Pros and all these things. And I would look at board states and they would just know what the answer is. And I wouldn't. And it was pretty inspiring, honestly. Because the thing that I love the most about Magic in general is that there's always so much more to be learned. And I know that kind of like, I've, I've said this before, you know, and I know that kind of like in front of an abstract sense. But this really put that in perspective and and showed me that I have so much to learn. And that, to me, was really awesome thing to experience. Because yeah. that's what I love. And that's and I've got you know, new goals now that I can set and, and all this other stuff. That was really awesome. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I think we only kind of get a glimpse. You only get so much by just watching matches. Like, uh, I, I watched all the coverage and, like, you know, I see Reed playing Abzan... And then he makes an attack that I would never have made in a million years. And then I look at the attack and think, oh my god, that's like literally the only way he can win this game. And it was clearly right. And yeah. so every once in a while you get that like shock of, oh, holy crap, he's this much better than me. But I, I, I don't think you quite get the full... You don't get anywhere close to the experience just by watching it. So that's super cool to hear. Right. Yeah, I... um. So on, I guess, Saturday, I ended up doing a bunch of drafts with um, just kind of the people who didn't make day two and were just kind of hanging out and everything. And I did a draft with, it was like Sam Pardee, Shahar Shinhar, uh, Sam Black, a bunch of other like, you know, Hall of Fame, Platinum Pro level guys. And that was really awesome. And we decided to split up into teams. So we were able to even, the, the first draft that we did wasn't necessarily a team draft. It was an eight man, but we split up into teams to kind of like play for something. So I got to like talk to these people about like how I would build my deck and all these other things and I got to like ask them questions when we were playing because we would sit next to each other 
and say, you know, I could be like, what do you think the right attack is here? Should I use this trick? Blah, blah, blah. And just kind of like having those conversations with these people was just really eye-opening in terms of their, their thing, their plays that I would never have made, they like recommended that I make. And it just like after that became very clear that they just like understood it at a better level and I and I made the play and it worked out extremely well and then all of a sudden I was in this insanely better position that I could have ever thought I could have existed. <laughs> so so yeah, just like kind of like experiencing a lot of that and I think particularly in limited, like in constructed, I think that I've played long enough that those edges aren't as the the gap isn't as wide as it is in limited, I guess, where in limited sure. there were just like insanely huge gaps of understanding that I was able to experience, but... Well, and the decks aren't as linear yeah. and limited either, so there's a lot more play to any given limited game most of the time. Right, right. Yeah, so that kind of brings up something else. Like, you had all these Hall of Famers and Platinum Pros to draft with because a lot of good players did not day two this event. This seemed like a very hard PT for, for a lot of people, so that was kind of interesting to see. I know, like, you know, like, like Seth missed day two for the first time in, like, a million years. Um, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other guys just didn't just didn't get there struggled like got train wrecked in draft or just got smashed in modern or something yeah like just the crew that i was drafting with there was like owen turtenwald and uh louis scott vargas and like a bunch of other people that i was like oh all right you know it kind of makes me feel better for not making day two of the event just knowing that having all these people too right right it's it's not just like all the scrubs missed out on day two all the all the real players are still playing cards like like everybody right. got wrecked this time I, that, I am very very jealous of that experience that's that draft sounds super fun yes it was it definitely was i, I don't know if you saw jerry t's tweet or maybe it was luis Alvarez's tweet. one of them tweeted out a picture from like two years ago during some gp like a selfie that luis alvado who, who won this past weekend Right. A selfie that he took with him and Jerry while Jerry was like helping him build a deck during a draft at a GP. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That that like mentoring aspect of it is really really cool and like I, I think a huge part of the strength of like high level magic if you can, you know, sort of get into that. So that sort of sounds like what you were doing. So that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely jumped on the opportunity to be able to do that because I I know that you know that's just kind of what you what you end up missing a lot of the time where you're in your home state and you know you don't have access to all these players who are so much better than you and that's kind of like a rare experience so right you can only get so much by by being a big fish right yeah well uh should we talk about modern and what happened at the pt then yeah definitely we got a pretty good snapshot of what modern looks like at the pro tour level which was pretty sweet yeah yeah definitely so i assume i actually didn't ask you this before i assume you played humans this weekend yes yeah okay i ended up playing humans played a pretty stock vile version of humans despite i, I did have access to the collect company list that a lot of other people were playing mm-hmm. um and did end up playing and doing relatively well with but i decided to stick with aether vials just because a i thought it was closer to what i knew and b just more consistent and powerful in in most matchups the the kind of spice that i came into the tournament with was one main deck kithian just for an extra one drop uh i wanted to just kind of like i just wanted one more thing to do on turn one or like one more thing to violin if i you know if i had a vial and a one drop it's it it ended up being pretty explosive and the sideboard consisted of four is it statocasters and four Sin Collectors, which I thought was a pretty good call for the weekend. Yeah, a lot of Lingering Souls, and uh, definitely lots of people with spells in their hands. Right, right. And you bring in all eight of those against the Mardu deck, which I knew was going to exist in a little bit at the Pro Tour, which is pretty fun. But Since we're since we're talking about that anyways, and I think that's a really big deal right now, is, uh, like, we saw a lot of these mid-range decks, and especially, like, that Mardu deck. Is that, like... By bringing in all eight of those, because just playing with your starting sixty against Mardu is is miserable. It, it's yeah. a, a horrifying experience. Does that like how much does that change the matchup to to sideboard that way? Honestly, I felt pretty good with my seventy five post board in that matchup. I felt pretty good about my spot post board. I was playtesting against another guy who was playing Mardu, kind of before the Pro Tour, and he just kind of made a comment of like 
man, these are so many sim collectors and so many Staticasters, I just don't know how I can win. I was like, all right, well, you know, okay, great. <laughs> this is the matchup that's supposed to be really good for me, or really bad for me, rather. So, you know, if I can yeah. do anything to turn it around. And they kind of go together. The 2-1 body on Sin Collector actually becomes relevant if you're able to clear out the 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 1-1s. One so that's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, in that matchup, yeah. But it's funny because, like, them coming together in that same matchup is kind of just, like, happenstance. I, I played them kind of, like, independently from each other, and I, before knowing about the Mardu matchup figured that they would never come in together because they're just four completely opposite decks the uh staticasters were generally for the mirror and like the other small creature decks that give you a hard time like collect company decks and stuff like that and then the four sin collectors were for the control decks i think that that was just your best option to fight the control decks that existed like jeskai or blue white or anything like that yeah so definitely. so i felt pretty confident about that being a good choice and i think it was yeah so i mean one of the things i mean there's there's a lot of stuff to talk about like what came out of the pt but there's some like sort of broad categories i mean number one i think it's really cool that humans was so widely played like like humans is is a very real thing most played deck at the pt like everybody sort of knew about it going in and tried to i, I don't think anybody was playing a deck that they thought was heavily disfavored against humans like pretty much everybody said that their deck was favored against humans but still two of them made the top eight and their humans like overall performance in the tournament was fine to good even with everybody sort of gunning for it so that's pretty cool yeah but as for like sort of the other big categories of decks there were you know blue decks there are cryptic command decks of various stripes there were like sort of mid-range stuff decks and so whether that's like reed playing abzan or mardu pyromancer or uh traverse death shadow which did really really well like that was another big chunk of the meta game and those were kind of like almost the main things that we saw going on like blue decks mid-range decks and then aggro decks whether that's humans or you know like affinity got pretty trashed this weekend so definitely kind of some interesting developments in the meta right now yeah affinity not doing very well was Kind of a surprise, honestly. Um, yeah. That's kind of like the one one deck that you just kind of always see in Modern. Mm-hmm. And particularly at a Pro Tour level, when you have players piloting it close to optimally, it's strange to see it kind of suffer in, in any metagame, really. But I guess people were just ready for it or whatever. People were packing the hate, ready for affinity. I, I think it is like disfavored post-board against almost everything in the meta right now. And... You know, like yeah. like Lucas was saying on the last episode, the reason he's not playing Affinity right now is that your disfavored post forward against almost everything and pre-board against several decks is not that good anymore. Especially, like, if you think you're going to play against Jeskai Control, then it's not the right choice for the weekend. So Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But, so, what's kind of interesting to me, one of the several things that's, just, that's interesting to me is the development of these mid-range decks. So I think that probably a lot of it is sort of in response to the human's menace, is why Mardu was relatively popular, and Jerry took that to the top eight. What was really amazing was Reed taking, uh, as uh, Brad Nelson called it, uh, Pepperidge Farm Abzan to the top eight. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Reed's just an insanely incredible player, and he's been playing that deck in Modern for forever. So I think that that's just kind of like an element of, if you play what you know in Modern, then you're going to get percentage points over playing what could theoretically be like the optimal archetype. So I think that was just a really good example of, you know, a really, really good player playing a deck that he knows really, really well and having success for it. Yep. And I mean, you know, seeing him on camera playing, he was clearly making excellent plays like he was playing super tight making great decisions but you know a big part of playing a deck like that is also showing up with the right 75 and i think he showed up with exactly the right abzan 75 for the weekend i I think right now if you want to play a mid-range deck um you've got to have the i mean number one you're playing the mid-range deck because you think that it beats humans and and the other aggro decks that's like the traditional place of this deck in the metagame is cast a couple of fatal pushes and kill them with tarmogoyfs or whatever yeah but i think right now if you're going to do that because of the relatively heavy presence of the other mid-range decks whether that's mardu or abzan or a death shadow variant of some sort um you've got to have a very real plan for other mid-range decks um and so you know like reed had 
five Liliana's main deck and one in the sideboard. And I think like you have to make real concessions to that matchup if you're planning on playing one of these Thoughtseize decks, basically. Right, right, right. And he also made the hard call of putting two Nile Spellbombs main deck, which I think goes to show just how important uh, Graveyard Hate is in this metagame. I think that was a great call. Clearly worked out for him. That's also good in most of the mid-range matchups because all of these decks depend on their graveyard in some way. So... Yeah, this is just one of those times. I, I think we've been preaching this for pretty much the entire length of the show, is uh, don't forget about Graveyard Hate. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, I think the spell bombs in the main were a pretty genius solution to a lot of the problems that that deck typically has. Yeah, he kind of uh, replaced his Mishra's Baubles with uh, spell bombs, so it gives him the artifact for Goyfs and Grim Flayers. It, you know, it costs a mana or two over Bobble, but it actually does something where Bobble, you know, really doesn't do all that much. Right, right. And so, you know, Pyromancer also has... Mardu Pyromancer also has a very similar approach to mid-range mirrors. You know, Jerry had a couple of Ilianas, but it's really those Bedlam Revelers that give it enough punch to uh, survive a long game in the Thoughtseize mirror. But now if you're going to play that deck, you got to be ready for the actual Mardu on Mardu mirror. So I think some tools besides <laughs> just Lingering Souls into Lilianas and, and Bedlam Revelers, like right. just bashing them into each other is not really a winning strategy. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to see any sort of like Zealous Persecutions or something like that to, uh, mm. to kind of win the Lingering Souls mirror. <laughs> Could be interesting. You just really don't want to have any white spells in your deck. It's true. Know. But for real, like Lingering Souls is one of the most important spells in modern at this moment, I think. Yeah, I can definitely see that being the case. Yeah, I mean, the Mardu deck seems on paper like it's just kind of like going to be the the king of mid-range mirrors. Just because you have access to all these Lingering Souls and Young Pyromancer for extra value and Kolyon's Commands and Bedlam Revelers is just an insane mid-range card where you you trade all these resources and then you slam a Reveler and you draw three more cards and it's like, you know pretty pretty insanely efficient especially if like you know if the, if the card that's extra in your hand or whatever that you're discarding is like uh lingering souls then you're just very happy to put it in the graveyard you know <laughs> that's just good deck building right there that's just good deck building right there yeah <laughs> yeah for sure it definitely seems super tailored for that sort of thing um one thing that i think is a better solution going forward if lingering souls is a primary concern is uh, just uh, Liliana the Last Hope, I think, is super powerful in these matchups anyways. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, maybe you jack up those numbers a little bit. Probably a good choice there, for sure. I mean, it's just kind of good against everything that's not Tron. Except, actually, in, in Reed's article when he was talking about his, his Tron plan, a big part of it was, like, Fulminator Mage and then Last Hope to Fulminator again. So... Right, right. I, I think that's an important piece of the puzzle for these mid-range decks going forward, is uh, being aware of Last Hope and how many you can afford to run yeah that makes sense he also mentioned and i think this is very true that when you have both lilianas in play you're basically immune to everything your opponent can do to you <laughs> small creature all right kill it big creature all right sacrifice it <laughs> so we definitely can't get away from this pt and modern right now without talking about hollow one because that oh um, yeah yeah that was a hell of a run yeah so funny story when we were testing Kind of like in Houston and in the airports leading up to Spain, we kept on jamming in modern and like we were playing like different humans variants and like different decks that people were planning on playing with. And literally every time we queued up against Hollow One, they would just nut draw us and we would die immediately. Every time. <laughs> so we were like, okay, let's queue up this Hollow One deck and see if this is just what we have to be playing in the Pro Tour because given our experience playing against it, it's been just literally unbeatable. We just, like, they put two 4-4s four on the turn one, and then we lose every time. Yep. So, you know, if it's actually, if like, you know, we have to play it to understand that that's not representative of, like, what it actually is. So we queued it up, we threw it through League, and 2-3'd, and we were like, whew, okay, thank God. <laughs> we don't have to play this at the Pro Tour. Yeah, spoiler alert, nobody, none of you did. Yes, no, none of, none of us ended up playing it, but we, we did know about it. And I think pretty much everybody knew about it. It's just one of those things where, you know, if you're if you're planning to run hot that weekend, then that's the deck for you. Because if you're running hot, you can't lose. But if you're not running hot, then yikes. You know, even just like average, I think is not great. Yeah, uh, and I mean, you're going to discard your hollow ones about as often as you actually put them into play turn one. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I, Ken Ken's quote sums it up. Don't be heartbroken when you discard your hollow ones. Right. It's going to happen many times. Yeah, and we, we looked at the league that we two three and we were like, hey, okay, so for each time that we discarded our hollow one, if that had gone into play instead, every time we would have five would not close. You know, sure. <laughs> it, yeah. Like we wouldn't have lost any of our matches, but you know, some of the times uh, our hollowed one went in the graveyard instead of play, and uh, and there's just nothing that we could do about that. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. Like watching that quarterfinals, like there was literally nothing that Reed could do from the Abzan side. He had no plays, he had no choices. His opponent just had eight power and play on turn one of guys that were immune to fatal push, and you know, you just you just die to that sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This is kind of like one of those RNG decks where, you know, if you're feeling lucky, then you can play it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my note here about Hollow One just says don't play this deck. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's in general my advice. I think if you don't have time to prepare, just, yeah, totally, just play this deck. Roll some dice, have fun. It, I mean, it, it, it still requires some decisions. Like, you'll certainly do better with tight play than loose play, but... You know, yeah, like you said, if you're just planning on running good all day or you don't have the time to put in to fully prepare and, you know, maybe you just roll some dice and have fun, then it can be a fine choice. I I don't think if you have time to run leagues and actually get ready and do some research and try to do your best in a tournament, I think for for us humans, uh, for us non-Japanese players, I mean, non-platinum like Japanese pros, this is not the kind of deck for us. Right, right. So let's see, what else notable? So a lot of the kind of, I don't, and I don't know how to categorize these decks, but a lot of the decks that sort of are designed to keep modern honest, or, or at least to, I, I don't know if that's the best way to put it. Uh, a lot of the decks that like put certain constrictions on the format just really didn't do well this weekend. So like Dredge and Storm got beat up really, really badly. And and so did Affinity. These sort of like signpost decks of the format, like you need to be prepared for this. You need to be prepared for this and you need to be prepared for this. I guess enough people were just prepared for artifacts, prepared for graveyard stuff, prepared for the Storm strategy. Um, and none of those like very linear choices were were good at all. So I wonder, you know, I wonder if like did, did Caleb Shear have anything to say about you know what was going on with Storm or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, he he was definitely talking a lot about it and how, but he he didn't feel like it was a particularly bad choice for the weekend. He was pretty excited sure. to play Storm. I think he did decently well in the constructed portion of the event. Yeah, um, I think he was pretty much the only Storm player, or one of like two Storm players that had a decent winning record, and it got yeah. pretty demolished otherwise. But yeah, I um, I don't know. I don't really know what happened to Storm. I guess people just kind of like, like you said, were, were prepared for it, knew how to play against it, all of those things. So. Well, I mean, you know, if you run into a deck like like Reed's with that's thought seizes and fatal pushes and main deck Nile spell bombs, then I don't think you want to be on the past in flames deck if you can help it. Right, right, for sure. A blue decks. So we haven't really talked about the blue decks yet. What I found pretty interesting, um, and I kind of thought this might be the case going into it, the the very controllish blue decks, so blue white control, Jeskai control, the really reactive ones that that just win with whether it's like the one torrential gear hulk or celestial colonnades or, or something like that is their plan those didn't seem to perform very well this weekend um we got a couple of spreadsheets with information about performance rates and, and that sort of thing and it, the the blue decks that are more reactive seemed to struggle quite a bit on the weekend but decks that yeah. did pretty well were things like the Madcap Experiment deck was was quite successful for being a pretty small part of the field. And like Pascal Viren's top eight deck, I mean, only he and I think his brother played it, but it certainly looked very impressive. Just really assertive with Thing in the Ice and Pyromancer and then backed up by Cryptic Command and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but it, it is important to note that those guys are limited specialists, and I think that he only went six and four in constructed. Mm. But they, those guys are just insanely good limited players, and I think that he he likely six owed the draft portion. So, um, gotcha. Just like an, you know, a good thing to note about those decks. Yeah, that's that's definitely important. I mean, they're 
I, I think they both did have winning records with that deck in Modern, but the sample size is so small that that's not really something you can take from it. The Madcap Experiment Blood Moon deck, though, did did quite well. You know, I think it was like from this this little spreadsheet I have, it was one percent of the registered decks and like three percent of the six and four better decks. So that like significantly exceeded uh, expectations. So that's kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah. Probably just you know goes to show that Blood Moon is still a really good card right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just like <clears throat> proactivity has always ruled modern, and I don't think that's really changed much. So you know, even if you're like a control reactive tempo oriented deck, you need to be able to close the game out in a pretty significant way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you just can't you can't kill people with celestial colonnades. I don't think that's a realistic thing to do in modern. And I, I just would never, never want to try that. Especially in a, a Field of Ruin format. It just seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, the, the blue-white control decks, that their only win conditions is, like, maybe a Gideon or two and Celestial Colonnades. You know, it's, it's not going to end well most of the time. And even if you do lock up the game, like, time constraints is still an issue. And I, I was looking at some sort of statistic for, like, draws in the tournament... Um, and blue eye control had an insane number of draws in the tournament, just like percentage wise. So yeah, it, it takes it takes longer to win than lantern does for sure. Yeah, yeah. Round one of of modern, so round four of the pro tour. So this is the first round of modern that we've gotten to see on coverage at the pro tour level in actual years, uh, and it's PV versus Levy, and PV is on Jeskai control, and Raf Levy is on straight up blue eye control. And it was a one-game match that went to turns. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and and ended with Levy pointing an ancestral vision at PV to make him draw his last two cards and die. So, I, I I can't imagine like going through a whole tournament with like multiple matches like taking that long. Like it 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 must drain you so much too to to play that kind of magic. And, like I said, frickin' Field of Ruin is one of the most important cards in Modern right now, too. So, like, Celestial Colonnades just seem like a a really, really raunchy idea to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with you there. So, I mean, I am not totally sure of uh, what I would want to play going forward from here. I, I think... And you can, like, you should definitely tell me what what you think. Um, my take, based on like what I've been playing against online and what it seems like people are playing going forward, is that there's going to be a pretty reasonable amount of just mid range stuff going on. You know, people love playing their their Abzan and Jun decks if they can get an excuse to, and it, you know, Reed Duke is definitely a good good person to give people an excuse to do it. People also love Jerry T or, you know, totally reasonably, in my opinion. And uh, so that Martyr deck has definitely spiked in popularity. Like, a bunch of the, like, TCG player, like, top-selling cards are Bedlam Reveler and other cards from the Mardu Pyromancer deck. So I I think these mid-range stuff decks are going to be a pretty significant part of the meta going forward. Um, And I want to make sure that I'm on something that's quite capable of, of beating them. I don't know. Like, if you if you feel good with that human's board plan, that may just be where you want to be going for it from here. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's close. A lot of people have like kind of come to the reaction of, okay, mid range. That means I want to play big mana. So let's play Scape Shift or Tron. But the problem is that you know the 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 other big element of modern right now is this human stack, which is like you know favored against the big mana decks, particularly Tron. So it's kind of tough to just kind of like say, oh, okay, I want to play this deck. Because there are still, like, just a bunch of other stuff that are going to be, you know, the rock to your scissors. So the biggest thing that I took away from kind of, like, looking at all of this data and everything, and I've heard the similar thing from a lot of other people, is that uh, we've got all this Pro Tour data, and we, we're looking at Modern, and we have no idea what we should be playing next weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, right? uh, in a way, kind of cool you know because it's not like there's like this eldrazi deck that everybody is obviously gonna have to be playing from now on you know right um the meta is still pretty diverse so i think that that just kind of like indicates to me that modern is pretty healthy right now 
Yeah, I mean, I've been struggling with this quite a bit. I mean, I have a, a GP in a week and a half now, and I'm really, really trying hard to figure out what to play. I I probably should not default to Living End, as I often do, and I actually just ordered a bunch of cards so that I, to at least encourage myself to play something else. But it's it's been really hard for me to identify like an open spot in the metagame. Like I'm, I'm trying Burn and Mardu and Dredge right now and nothing feels great. Like I, you know, tried Burn for a couple of leagues and it feels like just as medium as it always has. Like you're a little underpowered, a little significantly underpowered, but you still just sort of get there sometimes. And so I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss of exactly where I want to be right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i also not 100% sure what I want to be playing moving forward. And the answer might just be what whatever you're most comfortable with. So for you, Chris, it might just be that you want to play Living It. Just, you know, because if the if the metagame is, is open enough that, uh, you know, trying to metagame it too much is probably maybe just more detrimental than anything else. Right, right. I, I mean, I, I don't think that's wrong. The one thing that scares me the most about playing a deck like Living End is that it's so bad against the main creature deck in the format, which is kind of a problem for the deck that's supposed to be preying on the creature decks. It's yeah, just... that's that's very fair. So Living End might be a special case where it's just yeah not great right now. but it, It's just so hard to beat Thalia and Meddling Mage. Like, I, I, I just yeah, instant yeah, yeah. game one. I, I cannot win if they have any disruption in their hand. And then after board... I mean, I keep shriek mawing their Thalia, and then they play another Thalia, and it's uh, it doesn't go very yeah, well. Yeah, not great. I mean, I have been having some success with Burn. I, I you know, never going to love that deck, but I do like playing these straightforward aggro decks. Um, as a, you know, humans aficionado, what can Burn, what does Burn do that, like, frightens you or, like, makes it feel bad? I think Burn's best answer to humans is playing eight searing blaze effects okay. so four four searing blaze and four searing blood is kind of like where you would want to be in that matchup okay cool then i'm then i'm on track because i've got seven right now and the reason i don't have the eighth is because i wanted to make sure i had room for two paths because people keep bringing in oriac champions against me which might mean that uh burn is not the place to be if people are filling up their sideboards with oriac champions <laughs> yeah 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 fair so yeah, just figuring things out. Like like I would have thought, you know, just looking at the names of the decks in the metagame, I you know, you would think like Dredge would be a good way to attack this because it attacks the mid-range decks pretty hard. It's got good you know, good play against decks like humans, but it it did so badly at the Pro Tour that I mean, maybe it's just because the mid-range decks were playing a lot of graveyard hate. You know, Jerry had I think like 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 multiple spell bombs and multiple surgicals in his sideboard, and I, I think maybe most of the successful mid-range decks were really heavy on the graveyard hate, and that makes it difficult to play a deck that's naturally favored against them, like Dredge. So, yeah, it, it's really tough to figure out where you should be right now. Yeah, for sure. And you know, one of those other decks that like did poorly at the Pro Tour, but might be a good idea moving forward, is like scapeshift because mm -hmm. scapeshift is like it's a big mana deck that can prey on all these mid-range decks but in addition to that you have good game against the human decks as well so it's a possibility yeah and i wonder see that so scapeshift did pretty much the worst out of every deck uh at the pro tour um right right which is funny so who totally knows? destroyed and i don't have a good explanation for why that happened because everybody knew about humans going in. And so, like, my, my level zero, if you told me, like, Scapeshift did really bad, I would have thought, like, oh, I wonder if, like, they just ran into a bunch of humans decks and weren't prepared for them. But, like, humans was a big deal going into this tournament. And uh, I, I, don't, I haven't seen all of the Scapeshift lists or anything because they don't publish all the decks that got trashed. But, you know, I would assume that they had plenty of bolts and angers and that sort of thing to at least make the matchup, like, you know, close to even. I, I, I don't know why Scapeshift did so badly this weekend. I, do you do you have any thoughts about that? Was Were people talking about that at all? No, not really any conversation about that deck at all, really. It might just be because the deck is just... 
a little too slow for modern um, mm-hmm. might be kind of the, like one of the bigger issues. You know, Scapeshift is like lucky, lucky to kill on turn four and pretty consistently killing on, on like turn five or six, but that's just like really, really slow for, you know, modern standards. So Right. And while, while that's fine to do against Mardu, like that's not really fine to do against. And I guess like part of it might be that uh, the builds of the Death Shadow decks that we've seen are not the Death Shadow decks that Valakut is, is really capable of preying on. Right. Because, you know, originally, like when you started playing Scapeshift, it was because Grixis Death Shadow was kind of the number one deck in the format. And the way it was built, it was, you know, people had cut all of their Teamer Battle Rages. It was definitely vulnerable to that sort of like, like inevitable five, six turn clock that it couldn't interact with very well. But the the builds that we saw have the most success at the Pro Tour were the like four and a half color Traverse builds. And these are the ones that are like every color but white in the main and then they can sideboard one of the colors out for Lingering Souls after board. I actually like these decks a lot. Uh, like in the mid-range mirror, they're capable of presenting a lot more threats than the Grixis Shadow decks because they have Goyfs and Death Shadows and can traverse for their Death Shadows. They have uh, Battle Rages, which are really good in matchups like Valakut, and just Traverse is just a super, super powerful card. So that may be part of the reason is like one of the decks that Valakut is supposed to prey on like evolved to a point where I don't think Valakut is preying on it anymore. That's probably a good point. And the good Cryptic Command decks. You know, like, like Cryptic Command is a bad card against Valakut in general because control decks lose to you making natural land drops. But I guess the good Cryptic Command decks in this tournament had Young Pyromancer or Madcap Experiment or at least Blood Moon. So, you know, you don't have that natural like, oh, you're playing Islands, I'm just going to make land drops until you're dead sort of matchup anymore. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So is there anything else uh, you want to talk about, like Pro Tour experience, that sort of thing? Like that's something that I don't really get a window into very often. I, I certainly have not been to a Pro Tour. So, uh, you know, st- hearing about stuff like, you know, drafting day two, uh, learning from those guys, like th- that's all really cool. So any more stories you've got like that would, would be awesome to hear about. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else exciting I can share. I think that definitely my favorite part was just kind of like drafting a bunch um and you know not only were we drafting at on site on day two of the event but also um the hotel that we were staying at was the same hotel as a lot of the other players so if you just like went down to the lobby at like one or two in the morning there were just like drafts firing and everything the uh the super bowl was this past weekend and we convinced the hotel staff to put that on in the lobby at like one in the morning for us um so we just had like a bunch of magic players just kind of chilling and like sitting on the floor in the lobby and watching the super bowl uh in in spanish with no commercials <laughs> so uh oh, it was you get interesting to yell out, goal so many times per game in <laughs> <football>. goal <laughs> yeah 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 it was good definitely definitely a fun experience for the most part but so you're at nine pro points right now, right? You got to hit one more That's somewhere right. to get bronze. Yeah, I'm considering going up to Toronto this weekend to play in the Modern Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, just because if I can spike 10-5, then that's kind of like winning a PPTQ. Well, that's winning. If you if you spike 10-5, that's winning like four PPTQs, right? Because, you know, it's this year that's and next true. year. That's true. That's true. Yeah. For all the RPTQs. That's, I mean, that's a lot of value there. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm pretty incentivized to go, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm travel weary and sure. all this other stuff. So um, we'll see if I can make it happen. Um, I was actually talking to Ryland Talaferro, and we, we 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 were considering driving up to Toronto um, okay. this weekend, but uh, and that could still happen. You know, I'm I'm kind of down for that, but we'll see. Yeah. So I I played uh, in GP London. I, I ten and five that and it it felt kind of bad, man. I I don't know why I I just have these. I mean maybe because it was a limited GP and you know even though limited has a reasonable amount of variance to it, I just kind of have this um, expectation in myself that I will play limited better than most people, um, at least at the sure. GP level. And uh, you know like I seven and two day one 
and then I three threed in draft, which I really expect better of myself at. But I mean, I don't I don't know if that's a reasonable expectation. I, I think it's because the last limited GP I played in, I, I hit 11 and four. And so my brain was like, all right, I'm at least an 11 and four player now. Like, why would I ever do <laughs> worse than that? Which is obviously right. insane. But yeah, I don't know. Definitely weird. It, it just kind of sucks to head to the GP, you know, spend all this time there and, and not hit what you were kind of hoping for on the weekend. But obviously, like, that's just going to happen a lot. And like, I, I'm certainly preaching to the choir here. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, Magic is just a variance game, and yep. um, setting expectations for yourself in terms of record is just never going to work out well for your for your mental state. <laughs> no, definitely so. not. No, and I and it's not like I got, like, tilted by it or anything, and, and like, you know, I've, I've played in constructed GPs where I, like, didn't even day two, and it, like, didn't really bother me that much. I don't know, maybe it's just because my last round was a loss, and... I, you know, lost with a pretty good deck and felt like I had a good shot at at least getting those two points and stuff and didn't get there. And that just sort of felt bad. I mean, I, you know, I got over it pretty quickly, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. It's, it's a, like it, also pretty tough when you get past the deck construction portion of a limited event and are feeling really good about it and just have to close and fail to do that. Right. Um, sometimes your deck is insane and your opponent's deck is even more insane. So Yes. Who knows? Yeah. I, I mostly had the experience that my deck was pretty good, and then my opponent's decks were like like works of art. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The like double forerunner of the Legion, triple Legion Conquistador, Mavern Fine deck. Really, really okay, hard to okay. beat with Red Black Pirates. Not bad, not bad. I did... So, so one quick story about the weekend is that I, uh, I beat two separate Tetsamoks, that were putting break counters on my guys. Uh, in one match, my opponent started putting break counters on my guys, and I flipped my search for Ezkanta after like sighing and kind of giving up on that game. This was round one, by the way, so the whole the whole tournament was starting to feel over from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So he's putting break counters on my guys. Game one, round one, and I sort of wearily flip my Ezkanta, and then look at the top four cards in my library and the fourth one is hornswoggle and so then i realized that it's gonna be a very different kind of weekend Um, yeah (laughs) so i i had to show him the hornswoggle so he knew yeah uh but that was totally fine (laughs) and then what was kind of even sweeter was later in the tournament we were playing a, a you know pretty long game and my opponent starts putting prey counters on a couple of my guys and i think for a second and then i realize that his second black source is a drover of the mighty so i bounce it with crashing tide bounce it on top of his library with run aground so he doesn't have a top deck and kill him with an air elemental that had a prey counter on it which uh so that felt pretty good nice (laughs) that's pretty sick yeah it was it was good it was great oh this limited format is fun i think you know, I, I know we mostly talk about constructed. We talk about modern, but I've really enjoyed drafting this format. Yeah, I um, you know, I've, I've been on a pretty good limited kick lately. It's been it's been pretty fun, and it's definitely kind of the format where I feel like I have the most room to grow in. You know, just limited in general. I think mm-hmm. that like playing, like I think that I'm getting relatively good at drafting and building decks and sealed and all that stuff but just like the limited play, I think has so much room to to improve for me. So. That's kind of a, a, a cool and fun experience to have. Yeah, and I think it might just be because I'm not, you know, I, I haven't had that experience of hanging out with those those pros that just, you know, make me feel like a, a child fumbling around with the cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I, you know, I always feel like like there's just so many options during the draft itself that there's no way that I'm, you know, like I never navigated a draft perfectly in my entire life, and I've done thousands of drafts oh, i doubt point, anyone probably. has right. yeah <laughs> so that's always the thing that i feel like there's just so many so many possibilities and and i have no idea right. like how many levels there are of getting better at that so I'm, I'm trying my best definitely excited to have that experience where i like start learning about the things i really don't know about actually playing the games <laughs> right right for sure i don't know we'll see i'm uh, i'm excited to you know do my best to continue learning and improving about all those things so 
it's kind of like the thing that I enjoy the most out of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really rewarding. There's just, I don't know, like I've always liked learning stuff. I've always liked picking things up and, and figuring out how to do new things. But when you combine that with like your your hobby, like this fun game that you love playing, like that's quite a combination. Yes, definitely. No complaints here. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, is there anything else that we need to touch on, or I don't, I don't have anything specific. I, I think that was a solid, you know, exploration of modern. I, I think, you know, all I'm doing over the next week, pretty much, is jamming modern leagues. So uh, hopefully, you know, I have some more updated information about that uh, coming back. Um, and especially if you play in the GP, then maybe we'll have some more information from there. But yeah, like modern just feels so wide open right now. Even after, like right after a PT, just feels so wide open, uh, and that's that's pretty extraordinary. Definitely a, a good place to find modern after directly after a Pro Tour, where in the past it's kind of had the opposite experience of like narrowing down the field and clear winners and all of that thing. But we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. You know, maybe we've got so much data now that we can really figure out where we want to go from here and by we i mean just kind of like you know the the hive mind or whatever but right right yeah we'll see what happens yeah i mean i think the yeah somebody offered up a statistic i mean not really a statistic but just a a, a factoid which is that there's only one pt winning modern deck that wasn't banned afterward at some point and you know there was a a just guy control deck that that won a modern pt but other than that you know splinter twin uh, Eldrazi, like a- after every pro tour, like something got banned. And I, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen this time. Uh, I think, yeah, like you said, there's just no clear, there's no best deck. There's no like type of strategy that's fundamentally the best in modern. Although I do want to give us credit for calling Lantern. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like L- calling when Lantern winning the pro tour. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we didn't say that in so many words. But, I mean, we definitely, like, if you were listening, you know, we warned everybody about Lantern with War of Invention, so <laughs> I'm, I'm taking yeah. credit for that one. I'm, I'm calling it. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, congrats to uh, Luis Alvado for running the tables with, you know, a pretty difficult to pilot deck, and uh, super cool to see Reed and Jerry in the top eight, like, definitely two of the good guys of Magic. So this is a really fun pro tour to watch. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, I don't have anything particularly pressing to talk about but yeah i'm I'm glad that you got to go to a pro tour hopefully you get to go to one again soon and uh, (laughs) you know hopefully a slightly different experience this time around but it sounds like you managed to make the make the most of it regardless yeah i hope so you know and i'm definitely very very incentivized to try to get back there you know to continue to play with these players that are better than me and continue to improve well you know you can top eight a constructed gp so just do that again and you'll be fine. Yeah, it, I guess it's not too terribly far away if I can <laughs> if I can do that. So, cool. Well, yeah, awesome. awesome. So, thanks everybody for listening. If you want to find us online, you can find us on Twitter at, at @mtg underscore grindcast, and you can also find Collins at Collins Mullen. Yeah. So, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. And yeah, have fun testing modern or whatever you're doing. And uh, we'll see you later. Until next time. <laughs>